All right, will you please take your Bibles this morning with me and open them to the Gospel of Mark, chapter number 2. Gospel of Mark, chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 12 today. So After a two-week break, I am so glad to be back in this series as we continue to look at the life of our Savior, Jesus, in this gospel. Mark chapter 2, let's begin at verse number 1. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in His Spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, Pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Father, we ask your blessing upon the reading of your word. May your spirit take it, sow it deep in our hearts, and bring forth life-transforming fruit. For the glory of your Son, we ask it in His name. Amen. You know, there is a saying that I've heard over and over in my my life, and I've even said it many times myself, good friends are hard to find. You've all heard that before, yes? Yeah. Now, how many of you actually know it to be true? It's one thing to hear it, but it's another thing to know it to be true. Good friends are hard to find. To find. I think most of us can probably count on one hand those that we would consider to be good friends. And as a pastor, I, I, I get to talk to a lot of people. And one of the things that, that I am hearing, especially lately, even in this congregation, is that many just feel alone, estranged from family or isolated from family and without any real friends. True, godly friends are hard to find. They're like finding diamonds, especially in our day when everyone is just so consumed with self-interest that they rarely have time for real friendship. I was just driving down the road the other day and... uh, you know, 
on the interstate and, and some guy just comes out of nowhere flying up behind me riding you know my bumper and I'm going over the speed limit myself and I'm wondering to myself what where is he going that's more important than where I'm going why does he think that he can drive like he's the only one on the road but that's how we live with a very self-consumed interest. We don't have time for the person on the interstate any more than we have time for the person at church or across the street. We don't have time anymore for real friendship because real friendships, they take time, they take effort. You see, because we are made in the image of God, we are made to be relational. The triune God is relational. Three persons in one essence, Father, Son, and Spirit, all existing and relating to one another in perfect love, perfect unity, perfect fellowship. And us as being created in God's image, we are made to be in relationship with others. So yes, we need friends. We need deep friendships. And one of the reasons that we need these kind of relationships is that it is hard living in a fallen world. We need help getting through the difficult days and the difficult afflictions of life in this world, don't we? You know, one of the reasons that so many choose to end their lives through suicide is because they feel alone. Like there's no one who cares. Proverbs 17, 17 says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for what? Adversity. Proverbs 18, 24 says, There is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Life in this fallen world is hard. And the best friends are not the ones who take you to the bar to numb the pain. The best friends are not the ones who tell you to divorce your spouse because you deserve to be happy. The best friends are not the ones who are giving you unbiblical counsel. The best friends are the ones who take you to Jesus. Because we each have a need that only Jesus can meet. And friends, it is not the need that is most visible in our lives. Or or even the one that we think we need met the most. And this account here in Mark 2 of the paralytic is a clear and beautiful picture of this. And it teaches us a number of things about ourselves because, friends, the paralytic in this account is us. It's you and me. This is how we must see ourselves if we are to understand and apply this passage rightly. So I want us to look at it together and note, first of all, that our condition is helpless and desperate. Our condition is helpless and desperate. Verses 1 and 2, we see Jesus has he's returned home from Capernaum to Capernaum, fresh off, fresh off a, 
a Galilean preaching tour. We see it at the end of chapter 1, verse 39. Mark says that Jesus went throughout all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, casting out demons, and, and now he's back home in Capernaum. But he's still teaching and preaching, right? Because that's what Jesus does. And so a large crowd had gathered in you know, his home or, or possibly maybe even more likely Peter's home there in Capernaum. And the average first century home in this town would have held at most 50 people. And so this house was so crowded with people wanting to see and hear Jesus that it was now impossible to get in. But in verse 3, we are introduced to four men carrying a paralytic. Mark says, And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. This crippled man was unable to walk. Essentially, he lived his days lying on his mat, something of a portable stretcher bed. He was a pitiful sight. The other day I was, I was at the chiropractor and in his office with me was a, was a young man with some type of crippling disease. I, I don't know if it was a form of palsy or, or, or what, but he, he had difficulty making movements that I just simply take for granted every single day of my life. Just normal movements. He struggled to make them. And my heart just went out to him. And I left the chiropractor that day with yet a fresh reminder of the reality that we live in a sin-ravaged, fallen world filled with pain, filled with suffering, and we are helpless to do anything about it. Just like this paralytic here. And friends, this is one of the most forgotten truths in all of Scripture, that our world was never supposed to have sickness, suffering, and death. Now, they won't teach you that in the 8th grade or ninth grade in your evolutionary science class. In fact, they'll teach you that death is necessary for life. But that is an unbiblical worldview, friends. Death is never necessary for life. God did not create our world with blindness, with deafness, with disease, with dementia, with cancer, and, and all of this. He never intended for there to be a paralytic in the world that He created, according to Genesis 1.31, very good. That's how God left the world at the end of creation week. Very good. And something happened. And it wasn't God that did it. Our suffering, our sickness, the presence of death in this world is the result of the presence of sin in this world. And we need to recover that truth and stop pretending like getting old and dying is just a normal part of life. Because it's not. 
God is not the author of a dying creation that has left us in this helpless and desperate condition like the paralytic here in Capernaum. God is not the author of death. But thank God that this poor man in Capernaum in the first century had some friends. He had four friends. I told you we could count them on one hand. They were good friends. They were desperate to help their disabled friend. And they heard about this new rabbi. (laughs) This, This new rabbi from Nazareth who could do extraordinary things like no one had ever seen. The stories were spreading all throughout Galilee, all throughout Palestine, And so they brought their paralytic friend to Capernaum that day, no doubt thinking if we can just if we can just get him to Jesus. You ever feel like that? You have a friend in your life and you if I can just get him to Jesus. The door was blocked, the house was full, but these four men were determined. Verse 4 says, When they could not get near Him because of the crowd, to Him there is Jesus, they removed the roof above Him. (laughs) And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. They climbed up the roof, which was, this is first century home in Capernaum. It was made of, of branches and dried mud, okay? And they tore an opening through it. We don't need to just skip over that detail. They did damage to the roof of this home. They tore an opening through it, and they let their helpless friend down into the house where this new miracle-working preacher was. And notice that their determination was actually a demonstration of their faith. Verse 5 says that Jesus saw their faith. They believed enough that they were willing to clear the obstacles and do whatever it took to get their friend to Jesus. That was a manifestation of their faith. Because faith without works is dead. It's no real faith. And they had works to prove that they believed that if they could get this man to Jesus, his life would be changed. And as a point of application, I wonder, you know, do we have the same kind of determination in our own relationships with others, especially our family, our friends? Are we willing to be inconvenienced for their sake? Are we willing to endure hardship and remove obstacles to make a mess for their sake, for the sake of getting them to Jesus? These men wanted to get their friend to Jesus to be healed, but you you see, this man just wasn't, he just wasn't sick. He was sin sick. And this brings us to our second 
main thought this morning that our deepest need is not healing. Our deepest need is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Look at verse 5. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic son, that could also be translated as child, son, your sins are forgiven. That's a puzzling turn of events, isn't it? Why would Jesus start talking about this man's sins? He was there because he was crippled. Unable to walk, he couldn't take care of himself, and he needed a a miracle. He needed a, a physical miracle, a physical healing, but Jesus saw below the surface of his sickness and reached out to the deepest point of his need, of his true need, the forgiveness of sin. He needed forgiveness. Not necessarily because his paralysis was the result of personal sin, Maybe it was, okay? But maybe not. But either way, his friends did not bring him to Jesus because they wanted him to be absolved of his sin. But that's exactly what he needed. Because sin is the fundamental problem of every living human being and forgiveness is our most desperate need. Isaiah 59 verse 2 says, Your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. Sin separates us from God. It has separated us from God. Sin as God defines it, not as we define it, not as we make a list of all these things that we are comfortable doing and think that because we're okay doing them, then God is okay with us. Sin separates us from God. And Isaiah said that He will not even hear. That's that's not a message you hear very often, is it? That God will not hear your prayer. It's all we tell anyone, just call out, God's always listening. Isaiah would differ with that, friends. If we call on God cherishing sin in our hearts, then no, He does not hear. Because our sins have separated us from Him. You see, we live in a world, this is where the culture This cultural air that we breathe, you know, it influences us and we're not even aware of it. We live in a world that tells us that the brokenness that we see, the brokenness that we feel, is because we don't have enough money. Or we married the wrong person. Or we don't have the right job. or, Or we don't have enough socioeconomic equality. But friends, the reason that we are broken unhappy and depressed is because we are sinners carrying an unbearable load of guilt trying to find relief in all the wrong places. Jeremiah 17, 9, he says that the heart 
is desperately sick. And this is why Jesus said, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, he could have just addressed the man's paralysis. He, he could have addressed his physical need. He could have healed his body and sent him on his way. And you know what? This man would have gotten up from his mat that day with a spectacular, extraordinary miracle, and everybody would have been, wow, who is this man who can do these kind of things? He would have walked away healed on the outside, but estranged from God and still dead in his sin on the inside, only to eventually physically die and face the just condemnation of his sin in eternity. How often do we just address the surface problem in our own lives? We patch holes instead of getting to the root of the issue and getting that healed. We need the forgiveness of sins. You know, my wife has a, has a very close childhood friend who's, who's been struggling with cancer for several years. Her name is Amy. She, she's our age, maybe a couple years older. And, and this past week, she was turned over to, to hospice care. See, her, her race is, is almost over. After continued and consistent prayer for healing, healing has not come. And if God does not intervene with the miracle, she will move on from life in this world. She will die. But friends, she has something greater than the temporal healing of her body. She has... The forgiveness of sins. And when she closes her eyes in death to this world, she will open them in a world yet unknown and see the very same Jesus who said to the paralytic in Capernaum, Child, your sins are forgiven. There is no sweeter grace. There is no sweeter relief there is no sweeter experience in this life than forgiveness. You can die your body wrecked with cancer. You can die with peace if your sins are forgiven. Psalm 32 once says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. But just like today, anytime you bring up sin, people get, they get agitated. And look at verse 6. It happened back then too, for a different reason. Verse 6 says, Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Are you, are you questioning in your heart this morning something, friends? The scribes were sitting there and they, they got a little uneasy perhaps started to squirm. By the way, this is the first time uh, that we actually meet scribes 
that most likely had come from Jerusalem as word began to spread about Jesus and they come to check him out. And he starts talking about sin. In verse 7, why does this man speak like that? Who is this? Why is he? He, he is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Friends, there is a truth here that we simply cannot miss. The scribes were shocked by Jesus saying, Son, your sins are forgiven. Why? Why were they shocked? Because one of the principles, one of the bedrock foundational principles of Old Testament Judaism was that only God can forgive sin. Something that, in their understanding, not even the Messiah could do. They don't even believe that the Messiah can forgive sin. Only God Himself can do that. And so when Jesus absolved this man of his sin, friends, this was nothing less than a direct and very bold claim to deity. By claiming the authority to forgive sin, Jesus was claiming to be God. That's why they got bent out of shape. And the Jehovah's Witnesses and the other counterfeits of Christianity that come knocking on your door, they, they miss this. Don't, don't miss it. Jesus is not just a great teacher. He is not just a great prophet. He is God in the flesh. He is divine. And He has come to meet our deepest need, the forgiveness of sin. Lastly, we see in this passage here that our only hope is the Son of Man. Our only hope is the Son of Man. Verse 8, immediately Jesus perceiving in His Spirit, you see, that's, that's divinity right there. Perceiving in His Spirit that they thus questioned within themselves. He knew what they were thinking. He said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? When you read Matthew's account of this, Matthew had a very very condemning thing to say about the scribes. He said they had evil in their hearts. This was not simply a, well, I just don't know, maybe he's right. No. This was a heart-level rejection of Christ. And Jesus knew it. He says, why do you think these, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven or rise, take up your bed and walk? Scribes had this internal reaction. You know, the kind of thing that happens in all of us when someone says something that we don't like. If you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah, Your spouse says something you don't like and it's, it's instant gut reaction. I don't know. Maybe you guys have perfect... I don't know. Just don't ever put any cameras in my house, okay? Um, they had this internal heart-level rejection of Christ. this resistance, his claim to, to divinity. And he challenged them. He challenged their unbelief with, with a sort of riddle. He says, is it easier to say to this 
crippled, paralyzed man, he cannot walk? Is it easier to say to him, son, your sins are forgiven, or to take up your bed and walk? Now think about it for a moment. On the surface, it may seem like it's easier to say your sins are forgiven, right? That seems easier to say. Why? Because the forgiveness of sins is not something that we can empirically prove. You can't look in someone's heart and see if his sins have truly been forgiven. So it may actually seem harder for Jesus to say to a man who cannot walk, get up and walk. It certainly would be harder for us. I can say to anyone, your sins are forgiven, but I cannot go into a hospital and look at a a paralyzed man and say, get up and walk. Because if Jesus says that, and the man doesn't get up and walk, what happens? Well, he's immediately branded as a fake. And he becomes irrelevant, just like all the other false Christs that were before him. But Jesus is not like the other false messiahs in the first century, is He? He's not like the the fake healers (laughs) that we have on television today, is He? He doesn't use sleight of hand and, and the power of suggestion to fake healings like so many do today. In reality, for Him, the easier thing to say is in fact, take up your bed and walk. He can cast out demons. He can heal the crippled, the blind the deaf, He can even raise the dead. He has the power to heal the man, but He wants to show that He has not only the power to heal the man, but He has the the authority to forgive the man's sin. Look at verse 10. He says, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth To forgive sins. What is he saying? God has come to earth. (laughs) That you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. That's the goal. That's the purpose in healing the man. To show himself to be the divine, sin-forgiving Son of Man. Now that phrase, that title, Son of Man... If I were you, I would circle that. As a matter of fact, as you read through the Gospels, I would circle it every time you see it because what you're going to find is that 80 out of the 82 times Son of Man is in the Gospels, Jesus uses it to refer to Himself. 80 out of the 82 times that phrase appears in the Gospels, Jesus says it and He's referring to Himself. Here's the point. Jesus is the Son of Man. He wants to be known as the Son of Man. What does that mean? He is the chosen, the anointed one of God who has come to establish His kingdom and to undo everything that sin has done to us and our world. We read it this morning in our call to worship and to open our service. Daniel chapter 7. This is what Daniel said. I saw in the night visions... Behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days. The ancient of days there is God the Father. And he was presented before him, and to him, 
Who? The Son of Man. To the Son of Man was given dominion and the glory and the kingdom that all peoples, all nations, all languages should serve Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away in His kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. The Son of Man that the prophet Daniel saw in his vision was the Son of Man who said to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven. You see, his last best hope was not another itinerant healer or the latest popular rabbi who could perform a magic trick. The only hope for this man was the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's the only hope for all of us today. Not... uh, Not a cure for cancer, not a new technology to extend our lives, not world peace. That's not our hope. Our only hope is the Son of Man whose dominion is everlasting and His kingdom will never be destroyed. And finally, Jesus gets to the point, right? He gets to the reason... The four friends brought the paralytic and tore up the roof to get in. Verse 11, he says, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. There was no sleight of hand here, friends. There were no camera angles or tricks or people standing down front pre-screening the sick as they come forward. This was an immediate and extraordinary miracle. The text says that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we we never saw anything like this. You see, the greater friend of this paralytic in Capernaum was not those who let him down through the roof. The greater friend was the one who was the friend of sinners. The greater miracle that day was not the healing of his broken body, but the healing of his sin-sick soul. 1 Peter 2, 24 He Himself bore our sins in His own body on that tree that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed. Are your sins forgiven this morning? What about it, young person? You're under 20 in this room. Are your sins forgiven or are you just here because somebody made you come? What about it, elder saint? Have you looked on Jesus and seen on Calvary's cross a Savior with sins on His shoulders that belong to you? That belong to me? Or do you see only the sins that belong to someone else there? Oh friends, run to Christ 
today. Run to the cross in repentance, in faith, and let the sweet peace of healing, deep inner soul healing and forgiveness sweep over your soul. Let us once again be amazed at the Son of Man, our Savior, who has taken away our sins and healed us of our rebellion. He has healed us of our backsliding. Friends, this is the best antidote for any worry, for any fear, for any discouragement you may feel right now. To know that your sins are forgiven and you are a citizen of a kingdom that is indestructible. That your sins have been washed away in the fount of Christ's blood. Never, never to be remembered again. That is peace. Let's pray.